Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Well, what I mean, it, yeah, it's interesting. James Dobson, again, going back, tells the story of this, of, uh, I think it was a friend of his, or one of his, his son's friend that had him come over. And they were talking about, you know, parents and discipline. His, his son's, I guess his father was a deacon in the church or whatever. And uh, his son's friend said, you know, watch, me, watch how this works. And over the course of a half hour, that son was able to manipulate his father from soft talking to swearing at him. And finally the father came in and spanked the kid in front of, you know, uh, Jim Dobson's son. And, and as he was getting spanked, he said, see, I told you I could do it. He knew how to manipulate his father. All right, he had the guy's number. Uh, don't, don't allow yourself to become bitter or angry or, or to in any way, you know, um, embarrass your children, speak down at them. Um, don't do that. Now, I, I know how this works because um, I was waiting for somebody to do that. I thought it'd be Josh, not you, but anyways. Oh, he's got yet to come. But um, I, I know how this works because I'll be honest with you that, that um, you know, I, I think of growing up, I had what probably had to be the world's perfect mother. I can say that honestly. Um, did my mother spank me? Yeah, usually because it was my brother's fault, but <laughs> I did a few things on my own. I did, I did do a few things on my own. Not a lot, but every once in a while I did. Um, but, you know, the one thing I remember my mom, she always encouraged me by reading. She's always bragging about me. To everybody, she could. She could. She was always encouraging me to be what I wanted to be. She always, she always wanted me to go to college, and she always wanted to make sure that I had that chance. And you know, it was always, it was never well. You know, you're too dumb, or that's stupid, or you know, you're just too stupid to do that. Or, yeah. I mean, she always, she always encouraged, and not only me, but my two brothers as well. Now, you know, they made a lot more mistakes with them than they did with me, but. That's a joke. It's a joke. Um, but she was always encouraging me. And, and that, that I remember that to this day. You know, I just remember always, I, I never felt threatened or insecure. Or felt like uh, she didn't like me or, or I, I wasn't good enough. She never um, pushed me beyond what I should. You know, when I was not an athletic child growing up, so she never pushed me to go. You know, be base, you know. I want you to be the linebacker for the football team. Well, you know, God, you know I, I'd have been a grease spot, you know, as a linebacker. I, I, I wasn't that. She never pushed me to be that. Just be yourself. And uh, that's how you raise good kids. I think I'm a good kid. I think it turned out all right. And then in verses five through eight, leaving this idea of the of the parent child in verses five through eight, I just quickly hit this. And it's talking there about bond servants. And this, this is an employee. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Be obedient. Is that uh, 
To submit or to be obedient? Obedient. obedient. You, you do what your boss says. But he's an idiot. It says be obedient. How can, you, how can you exhibit to your boss what Christ is like if you are a rebellious, cantankerous, lazy employee? Can't be done. And it doeth fear and trembling and sincerity of heart is to Christ. Work for your boss as though that was Christ. You're working for. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. What does it mean with eye service? Meaning no do it just when they're seen. That's right. That's right. To impress them. Yeah. It's funny, I kid my boss, you know, every once in a while he says, well, you know, I'm going to be off tomorrow. I say, party time! You know? Well, I'll tell you what, I work harder when he's not around than when he's around. And I get the job done. You know, that, that, that'll tell you when you get the job done. Don't do it just to make them, don't do it just to, uh, when they're looking, but do it when they're not looking. Doing the will of God from the heart. Doing it with a heart attitude. With goodwill doing service as to the Lord, not to men. You know, you ultimately work for God. All of us do. You say, but I work for Satan's next of kin. Yeah, I did. I worked for his younger brother. For two and a half years. And I remember many a time struggling but I always felt it was my duty to do the best job I possibly could for my employer. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Ultimately, who is the rewarder? God is. That's nice to get a reward here, but sometimes that doesn't work out that way. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. Masters, you are to treat your employees well, not, not threatening them. Not always say, you know, jumping on your case, not always being all, all over them. But rather we are to treat them as our own master treats us. How does Christ treat us? You step out of line, I'm going to smack you upside the head. No. Very patient, very forgiving, very kind, very understanding. And we're to, we're, if you're a master, if you find yourself as an employer, as a boss, that's how you're to treat your employees. I have a boss that does that. Today we were at lunch and I said, you know, I can't figure out why we're in here working today because, you know, it's such a beautiful day out. He said, well, yeah, I don't know why you're here. You know, why are you working this afternoon? Because, uh, you know, I'm going to be in this weekend on Saturday doing some work because I have to do some things over the weekend. He says, if I were you, I'd take this afternoon off. Well, you don't have to talk to me, you know. I want to play golf. And I got to tell you this. Now, you're not going to believe me. Anybody play golf in here? 
I got a par on the first hole. You ever play Mallard Creek? I got to brag about this. I'm sorry. Mallard, Mallard Creek? Well, I got a par on the first hole, and the next hole is a par five. I got an eagle. I got three, 200 par. My fourth one in my life. Out on 82. It's the back, it's the third nine, the par five that goes along the water. He had two massive shots and dropped the putt. I couldn't believe it. Got a got an eagle, you know. Made my day, you know. Um, but 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 the thing is, you know, my boss treats me well. So so how am I going to to work probably? A lot better, right? I'm going to do my best because he treats me well. I want to do my best for him. Now, sometimes it, well, that's great if you have that, but what if your boss is a pain? You still do the best you can. You do the best you can. And the whole point here in all these relationships, uh, the husband, wife, the parent, child, the employer, employee, is this is how our, our relationships are to be in the body of Christ. And when they're not, we're dysfunctional. It's a shame when a man says, I will not hire Christians because they're lazy. There, there's something wrong with that. You should be the best possible employee at your location that you can be. It doesn't mean that you're going to do everything right all of the time, but you, you, are, you do the best job you can. See, I have a very, you know, one of the things that I, in, in, in all my years of work, there's been one simple policy I had, and that is if I'm too sick to go to work, I'm too sick to go anywhere else. Amen. If I call into work sick, that means that I don't go out on the evening. Unless it's like to the drugstore or the doctor or something like that. So, for example, I will never, if I am here at Moody, that, mean I, that meant I worked that day. I never didn't call in sick. If I call in sick at work, I call in sick here, or I take a vacation day at work. You say, well, the boss doesn't know. That doesn't matter. God knows. If you are sick, be sick. You know, don't, don't call out, you know, say, oh, it's a beautiful day. Oh, I'm sick. Don't feel good, you know. But a half hour later, you make a miraculous recovery enough to go out and play 18. You know, that, that's... Call day. That's calling That's cheating. You call a vacation. You call, but you you make it a vacation day. Now I'll do that. You know, come the fall, you know, if there's a few good days, you know, I'll, I'll ask to go on. I'll take a vacation day and go play golf. But it's vacation. It's not, it's not sick, leave. sick leave. Or I might say, is it all right if I take Friday off and work Saturday? And if that's okay, yeah, it's fine. The point is, you need to be diligent to do your job for your company. It's your character that's at stake, and you do that whether God sees it or the, the, your boss sees it or not. Now, in verses 10 through uh, 18, we have the whole idea of spiritual warfare. And I want to spend the rest of our time on this, um, on the spiritual warfare notion, because there's so much nuttiness that you see today. Um, and this whole idea. And I hope you read the notes on employer-employee stuff there. I'm sure you did. But there's so much nuttiness today. 
this whole idea of spiritual warfare. I mean, if you look at the modern television and the, the people on there, you, I mean, it's just nuts, you know, what you see. Um, what are we being told today? Um, well, this is just, this is just a, a little, probably a little condensation of what I have heard about spiritual warfare. Now, I've gotten a bunch of books and read what they've said. So I'm not making this stuff up. You know, this is what people actually say. But this is, what, this is what's being said about spiritual warfare. Number one, Satan is the major cause of all physical disease and lack of blessings for believers. If you're sick, if you've got a cold, it's a demon. You've got the demon of the cold or the demon of flu. How did they explain Job? He had a demon. All right. Yeah, he had Satan himself show up. But the whole point today, we're told, and, and there are people that actually, Christians actually believe this, that if you have any kind of physical disease, whatever it is, it's some kind of demonic oppression because as believers, you should never be sick. And uh, in fact, the hunters, Charles and Francis Hunter, they're, they're a couple of nuts, all right? But uh, they, they go around and, and, and talk about spiritual warfare. They're, they're part of the, what I call the radical charismatics. They're charismatics and they're, you know, somewhat heavy. And then they're the, ra I mean, they're way over there. You know? they're, they're way over here, you know. They talk about the time, I think they're the ones that talk, well, they are, are Charles and Francis, or Caps, or one of them, talk about how an angel came and saved their plane from crashing. They saw the angel holding the wing up. You know, I mean, it's weird stuff, you know. Um, I don't know what it was. They were, they were drinking some of the real stuff. They were not drinking Pepsi. It was the real thing, you know. But um, they say this, uh, when a doctor says there's no cure, our spiritual antennas pick up the fact that it is a spirit. That they've been quoted as saying that. They have concluded that all incurable diseases are caused by evil spirits. Demons inhabit not only people, but homes, cars, and other mechanical devices. It's, it, it's that, I swear, it's that, that those wipers have a demon. He's not paying attention, but there's a demon in those. Those wipers, there's a demon in them. That's the problem. It's demonic. You know, uh, but they would they would say there's a demon. You know, if your if your TV goes on the fritz, it's a demon in it. You know, there's a demon. Or you get here's the other thing. There's a church. Uh, there's a certain church on the north coast of around here that uh, has a ministry whereby they will send their deacons over to uh, cut around your house with a pair of scissors to cut all the strings of demonic oppression that might be around right. your house. All right. Yeah. Um, I got the, but uh, it's it's they 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 would they would contribute everything to a demon. Yeah, you know, it's all demonic, and uh, not everything is demon. Come on in. But uh, they they would they would say it's a demon. And anything bad that happens to you is a demon. If you got a flat tire, some demon was out there and put a nail on it. All right, that that's how they that's how far they've gone. Um, and then they say the world is another thing you've I've heard out there is the world's under control of these territorial demons. You got the demon of Illyria and the demon of Lorraine and the demon of the U.S. and whatever. Now, where do they get that? I mean, when it talks about 
Yeah, the Prince of Persia, the King of Tyre, and that. They would, they would pull out of there. Now, now is, is there a possibility that that's true? But do you know that? No. no. You don't? You know, I think a lot of times people think that there's some kind of struggle between God and Satan. God is in control. You know, it's not the... Uh, I don't, you know, that it's... I think they try to put too much emphasis that Satan is so powerful, and, and they forget that you know God is in control. God is absolutely, totally sovereign, and there's nothing that Satan is going to do to overthrow him. God is in control. It's not this this territorial struggle where God just might pull a victory off if he's really lucky and plays his cards right. He's he's won it all the way around. But, but they, they, you know, and so what they do is they go around and they try to identify these territorial demons. In fact, um, there's one thing I picked up that has a, a how, to, how, to go, how to do a demon walk of your neighborhood. And what they'll do is they'll actually have the groups, you know, they'll go block by block and try to feel the presence of the evil spirits. And it's weirdness. You know, I'm praying over specific blocks that God would remove the demons. And, I mean, just, it's, it's nutty. All right. We'll talk about why it's nutty in a little bit, but that's out there. Um, they also say their way to overcome Satan is by power encounters. Basically say without the power encounter, the gospel is effective. In other words, what you've got to do is cast a demon out or do a miracle or something like that. Um, and they actually have people, like it talks about here, the, um, they have spiritual warfare boot camps. Where you can go, and uh, they actually come out dressed in like army fatigues with a little hat or whatever. These people and teach you how to beat up a demon, how to go and attack the demons, and you know they take credit for everything. You know the downfall here of Bhagwan Rajneesh, uh, and all this, all this kind of stuff. But but they actually go around telling you how to engage in spiritual warfare, the boot camps. C. Peter Wagner is one of these that really is on this, the spiritual boot camp mentality. All right? And Mark Bubeck, who's, who's actually is from Moody, a little bit, I think. He even falls into this a little bit, talking about, um, like this, before revival, like the one which you are praying can come, there has to be a strong encounter with Satan. Where does that come from? Well, it's just some feeling he has. Now, where do your feelings come from? Pepperoni pizza with double anchovies could give you a vision, you know. Um, it could be alcohol. It could be, uh, you know, all kinds of things. It could be, a, uh, how, do you, how do you validate that? You don't. That's just his feeling. Number four, Christians are told to take the offensive against Satan. We're told to go out and find a demon and whack him. No. Go and find him. It, 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 and it's militant. It's almost, and Morris Cirillo was really in on this, you know, to God's victorious army kind of mentality. They say homes that we may move into may be infested with demons. And what you might have to do is cast the demons out of your house. <clears throat> You may have got stuck with uh, a house that had a spiritist in it. You got these demons hanging around it. Um, here's one, verse 6, generational curses. Your great-great-great-grandfather may have done something to tick a demon off and you're stuck with him. 
Or maybe your great-great-grandfather was into voodoo and that or whatever, and that demon has sort of been passed down from generation to generation, and you have a demon from your great-great-great-grandfather, a generational curse. By the way, I have, I have in the notes here, it talks of the books that I've got these from. All right, so you can go read them for yourself. Um, Christians can be forced to sin by demonic oppression. That's a big one. Are you saying these are real? No, this is what people are saying. This is not true. This is what people are saying about this. For example, uh, Oral Roberts cast the demon of lust out of Swaggart over the phone. So really it wasn't Jimmy Swaggart with whatever, what is Han or what is his name? I don't know whoever it was. It was, he was, it was really wasn't. It really wasn't him. It was a demon. He's a good guy. It was the demon. Now, what has that just done? You just remove your personal responsibility. It's not you. It's a demon. You're really not a serial murderer. It's a demon in you that's doing it. It's not your fault. You're really a good guy. See, that's what we're... And it's, 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 this is, by the way, none of this is in the Bible. You just realize that. But, but that's what we're being told. And then uh, we're told that certain sins are energized by demons. You know, if you have, uh, here, here's, here's one. This is what somebody said. Who needs deliverance? Anyone in the lineage of Adam has inherited the iniquity, ungodly desire of his father, Exodus 25 and 6. Now, what does Exodus 25 and 6 say? The sins of the father shall be visited on children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. What does that mean? I kind of just meant the consequences. I mean, the consequences of your parents' sin can affect your life. And also, you know, if, you're, if, if all your family are pagans, what are the chances of you being a Christian? Slim. The point is, you know, you got a rotten society, it takes three or four generations to turn it around. A whole society. Because, because the influence of the fathers are passed down. Is what it's talking. It's not saying my father's sin is imputed to me. That's not what it's saying. So he's misquoting the Bible right there. He's using the wrong verse. Without deliverance by truth, this person is in bondage, unreality, deception, negativity, foolishness, sickness, and evil, and he doesn't even know it. That's their ministry. Their ministry is deliverance ministries. In deliverance, we are released from the spirits and desires that twist our heart and deceive our mind. What is a spirit? Anger is a spirit. Irration and self-pity are spirits. Hatred, jealousy, illness, worry, deception, arrogance, fear, rebellion, resentment, phobia, shyness, conceit, confusion, smugness, sadness, accusation, addiction, pride, cruelty, legalism, homosexuality, religiosity, complaining, lying are all names of spirits. You're not a liar. you you, you got the spirit of lying who's making you lie. And if we can just deliver you from the spirit of lying, you'll start telling the truth. Now let me ask you a question. What does that assume about you? That you're good. There's nothing really wrong with you. It's all the demons. That's the assumption. It's, it's not you. It's a demon. All right? And uh, just get rid of the demons. You'd be, you'd be a pretty good person. Every word in the dictionary that describes any kind of evil, wicked intent, or sin against God is the name of a demon or evil spirit. 
If at any time in your life you have ever expressed any such spirit or desire, then you still have it hidden in you inside unless you've been delivered from it. So what they do is they'll go around and for a fee, they'll deliver you from all the demons. You have a problem with covetousness? Ah, you got a demon. Let's get the demon out. And if we get the demon out, you won't covet anymore. So quite our, yeah. Yeah. See, here's the problem. This is based on a faulty understanding of sin. A very faulty understanding of sin. You know, when you look at sin, you know, in our lives, why do we sin? Yeah. See, see what they've done is you've got you've got you've got three major enemies that influence you. You have flesh, you have the world, and you have Satan. Okay? And what they what have they said is the major cause of your sin? In fact, what they've said all of the cause. Satan. But what is the real cause of all your sin? It's your flesh. It's not the devil. Guys, you don't need a demon to make you sin. You understand that? You do well on your own. In fact, God's going to lock up all the demons someday. You know what people are going to still do? Sin. And let me ask a question. How does Satan get you to sin? If, if you want to, I'm, not, I'm saying, in not in the sense of forcing, but how does he influence you to sin? Through the... How does the world influence you to sin? So where's the battle? Flesh. It's not the it's not the devil. It's not the world. It's your flesh that's causing you to sin. It's it's your own innate corruption. It's not Satan making you sin. If Satan truly made you do all of the sins, is God fair to judge you for something you can't avoid or help or you're forced to do? But that's what they're telling us. It's the devil. The devil made you do it. For number nine, we're told that believers have the power to bind Satan and pray hedges of protection. I get sick of that. You know, what's well, pray a hedge about it, pray a hedge. Now, where do they get that? Now, let me ask a question. When did Job find out he had the hedge? Before or after or during? After. after. <clears throat> and who put the hedge there? And did Job ever even know it was there? Did he pray for it? No, he didn't. No. So they're going to pray for a hedge? Yes. If you're praying for a hedge as a magic shield, you know, like put the shield, you know, you know, like shields up on Star Trek, you know, yeah. put up the shields, you know, so the Satan can't get through. Yeah, it's 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 voodoo. It's it's mumbo jumbo. Um, if you're asking God to keep you from temptation, that's different. It's not praying a hedge. You know, what they do is they say, well, we'll just pray a hedge about you. It's an impenetrable barrier to this devil. Or what they do is they bind Satan. I bind Satan. Now, do you bind Satan? Where's Satan bound? Who binds him? And that's the only time he's bound. you realize that? He has a very, very, very long chain right now. Can Satan do anything he wants? No. No. He can't. no. I talk about the foghorn leghorn, my, my favorite cartoon character. 
And that dog has a rope limit, right? And it's marked out. And, and it can go up to the, and it, you know, you can't go any farther. But Satan has a very, very, very long rope limit. But he still has one. Now, how do we know he has a rope limit? Well, look at the book of Job. Before Satan could touch Job, he had to get God's permission. He's got a very long rope limit. But you don't bind Satan. You don't say, Satan, I bind you. He says, ooh. Now, another way they get this is they, they talk about the binding of the strong man. Remember that over in, in Matthew chapter 12? Where it talks about the binding of the strong man. And, 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 and in fact, they have music today and things on how to tell you how to bind the strong man. All right. Well, you need to understand what Christ is saying there. Christ is not one, Christ is not telling us to bind the strong man. And he's not telling us to bind Satan. Christ is using this as an illustration. See, the Pharisees were telling Christ that you're doing this the miracles that you do because by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Christ says, number one, that's stupid. I mean, he didn't say it that way, but that's the gist. He said, number one, Satan is not going to cast out Satan because then he's casting out himself and a house divided against itself can't stand. So he's not going to bind himself out. So if Satan is not binding out Satan, then how am I binding, how am I casting him out? Well, let me ask you a question. If you're going to go into a house and spoil a man's house and he's bigger and stronger and meaner than you are, what do you have to be able to do? Tie him up, incapacitate him, which implies you are stronger than he is. So if I am casting out Satan, then I must be stronger than Satan. And that's exactly what Christ is trying to say. It has nothing to do with me binding him or binding Satan or, or, or us praying bindings. It has to do with an illustration. I am able to spoil Satan's house because I am stronger than he. Just as if you're going to rob a guy's house in those days, you had to be stronger than he was to tie him up. And I'm tying up Satan. We don't bind Satan. We don't bind a demon. We don't, we don't say demons, you're not allowed here. We are encouraged, verse 10, to learn prayers of deliverance. There's a whole book of these. I saw it in the bookstore. You just fill in the blanks. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of his blood, I pull down all levels of the stronghold of, and then they give you, well, choose one of the following words. And you just fill in the blanks and you pray this prayer. And it's, now, let me ask you a question. Where do you find books of things like that? What do you, what do you call those kind of books? Magic spells. That's all it is. It's nothing more than a bunch of you know, witches around a cauldron throwing an eye of newt and toad's feet and all of that stuff. Doing that's all, It's all voodoo. It's all magic. What you've done is you've reduced Christianity to a bunch of magical words and phrases. And by the way, the big, what's the big magical word and phrase that they use? No, the blood of Jesus. They're always binding in the blood of Jesus. Always, always doing that. Um, cause storms. Cause natural disasters. I mean, you can do a lot. 
Can Satan cause disease? Yeah, what about the woman who's Satan bound for, what, 18 years? Yeah, he can cause disease. Is every disease caused by Satan? No, because you're part of a fallen world. Now, how do you know which ones are and which ones aren't? You don't. You don't. You don't know which ones are and which ones aren't. So one, you can't say, well, every time something bad happens, it's a demon. On the other hand, you can't say Satan is not doing anything. Here's the problem. We, do we operate on a physical or a spiritual plane? Spiritual. What are you talking about? In what realm are you talking about? Our life, our existence, where is it? Physical or spiritual? We're in the physical realm. So when it comes to spiritual things, since we don't dwell in that realm and we don't see in that realm, what are the chances of us getting snookered by Satan? Pretty high. See, you don't see. You don't, I don't know what Satan is doing. I can't figure out what his next move is. I don't know what's going on in the spiritual realm about me. I don't see that. I'm not equipped to see that. So I can't try to figure that out because if I do, I'm going to get the wrong answers. But what you got these guys going on saying, well, we know what's going on. You know, we got this cosmic battle. And, you know, read Frank Peretti and you see, you know, and you start fantasizing. That's, that's fiction. I don't know what's going on out there. I have no idea what Satan's strategy is. I don't. Because I don't operate on that level. And it's interesting because Paul never concerned himself with what Satan was busy doing. He let God deal with Satan. What Paul did is he says, I'll make my plans. I'll depend on the Lord to give me the direction and guidance I need. And he, he can worry about Satan. But I'm going to focus on this. Now, did Paul understand that Satan hindered him? Yeah, on multiple occasions he said, Satan hindered me. But Paul did not figure out, okay, now let's see, I'm going to go to this town, but maybe Satan's working over there, so I'm going to go, he, he tried to figure that out, like a big chess move, like a, you know, a game of strategy or something like that, because you don't know. We don't know. We're not equipped to deal. So you don't want to, you don't want to fall on either side of that. Now, what, what does the Bible teach us about Satan? What do we know about him? Well, there's a whole bunch of things here. Satan hinders the believer. Now, Satan personally try, personally showed up to you. No, you're not big enough. You're small potatoes. All right. Satan is not personally involved in it. Satan did not personally show up to any one of us in our lifetime to get us to sin. Personally. Satan can't tempt the believer. Now, how does he tempt us usually? And he uses a demonic... I mean, Satan personally doesn't show up with the demonic forces. They, they're, they're, yeah, we can be tempted. Now, is every temptation of the Satan? No. That's not what James 1 says, right? It says you're tempted when you're drawn away of your, your desires. Okay? Satan deceives believers and unbelievers alike. Satan is a deceiver. He's not going to tell you the truth. Satan can cause physical diseases. Satan can persecute and oppress the believer. Satan's forces are highly organized. Now, I don't know, you know, if they have, you know, generals and corporals and cat. I don't know how it's organized, but there's some organization there. 
He's the ruler of this world. He can be resisted by the believer. But it says there, resist. It doesn't say go out and find him and beat him up. Resist him. He's a defeated foe. He's lost the battle. He perverts the word of God. He's always saying, yea, hath God said, and he always gives a spin on it. <laughs> he blinds the unconverted so that they would not see the truth. He snatches away gospel truth from those hearing it, Matthew 13, 9. He propagates false doctrine. Where do you think all the cults of the world came from? Some bright man figured those out. Satan. He accuses a believer day and night before the throne of God. He can cause natural disasters. Does it mean every tornado is a devil? No. He can demonize men, but I don't believe the Bible says that he can demonize, he can indwell us. God may use Satan as his instrument of judgment. Do you know that? We can give Satan advantage by involving ourselves in sin. What are the problems with the spiritual warfare movement? Well, number one, it places too much emphasis on Satan as the cause for personal sin and too little emphasis on our flesh. The bottom line is 99.9999999% of the time you sin, Satan has nothing to do with it. It's you. It's you. It's your flesh. It's not the devil. Your temptations do not come because of Satan dangles something in front of you all the time. He might come along every once in a while and do that, but most of the time it's you. It's your flesh. And we need to understand that the spiritual warfare movement, their emphasis on the devil being the source of all of this, that's not correct. He's not the source of all of our sin. Number two on page 11 it encourages believers to become familiar with Satanism and the cult. Why does God prohibit contact with demonic beings? Why did he cause have the death penalty? For getting involved with Satan. Satan is bigger than us. Remember when Paul was going through Philippi, what did he have? A demon gal following him around saying, this is the servant of the Most High God, hear him. What did Paul eventually do? Why? That's a good press, right? I mean, the demons knew who Jesus was. What happened? Who would be the spiritual leader in Philippi when Paul left town? She would. She'd tell him the truth then. God does not want you dealing with Satan because Satan will never tell you the truth, ever. He is a deceiver. And God does not want you going to asking the devil information because devil will not tell you the right information. What God wants you to know, God is telling you. And there's no business in going to horoscopes and you know, going and doing the channeling and all of that other kind of stuff, that is all prohibited by Scripture because Satan will be a liar. The spiritual warfare movement falls to a mystical form of Christianity. It reduces Christianity to magical words and phrases. J. 
Just pray the right prayer, just say the right thing, and you'll, and you'll be impervious to Satan's attacks. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. How, how does the Bible teach us to deal with Satan? Well, it does right here. The whole armor of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the powers might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's his schemes, his ideas. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Who is behind the demonic philosophies of this life? Satan is. My fight is not with Carl Sagan He's an, as an evolution. It's a, with the philosophical system engendered by Satan of which he has bought into and is a proponent of. It's not him. He's not my enemy. And our, 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 our warfare is not physical. So if we try to use physical means to fight the battle, what have we just done? Using the wrong weapon. That's not going to work. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Does it say anything there about advancing? To stand. To stand your ground. To stand firm. To, to not allow yourself to be taken by the enemy. And then Paul uses the metaphor of armor. And this would all be well known to people in those days. They could walk out the door of their house and see a Roman soldier with this armor on. First of all, it says, stand therefore. And there's two things here. There's stand and take up. The stand pieces are the ones you're always to have on. The take up pieces are the ones that you use when the opportunity arises. You're to stand having your waist girded about with truth. That's a belt. What does a belt do? It holds your pants up. All right. And for the Roman soldiers, where you attached your sword and your dagger and your canteen or, you know, whatever it is, it's the belt. It's, it's where you put all of that stuff. And when the battle came, since they had long skirts and things like that, they would fold their robe up under their belt to give them mobility. So if the belt came loose and your robes came down, your mobility would be hindered and you would be defeated. The belt was a very important thing. And, and it says here, the belt of truth. How much truth is there? How many truths? One. Lots of error, but one truth. And then he says, you have on the breastplate of righteousness. What is that God's righteousness or your personal righteousness, do you think? The ultimate origin is Christ, but I think it also has an idea of my personal righteousness. In a sense that I am doing right things. If, if I am a sinner living in sin, if I'm a Christian living in sin, am I necessarily protected well against the onslaught of Satan? I've exposed myself. The ultimate source of this, of course, is God who is the author of all righteousness. But in order for me to be able to claim that, I need to be righteous in my life. I need to do right things. If I am living in sin, I have exposed myself to the attacks of Satan is the bottom line. And then it says here, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the, the feet with the shoes of 
the gospel, the shoe was a very important thing. I mean, we, we don't think much of shoes today, but in those days, most people went barefoot. You know, if you're on rocky ground and stuff like that, if your shoes came loose or they didn't work right, you would be compromised and fall to the enemy. So it's very important to have, and, and soldiers will tell you today, they'll tell you the most important thing they have is their boots in a war. You know, you got to have those boots. They got to be good boots to, to march and to whatever it is they're doing. You got to be good. And then it says, uh, above all of that, take the shield of faith, which will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. The fiery darts that Satan tosses at it. Now, what does Satan usually toss our way? Insult. Insult. <coughs> temptation, maybe. Doubt. All those stuff. I mean, you know, these things come our way. And how do we, how do we quench those? Well, with the faith, the shield of faith. Faith in believing that God has given us the ability to overcome. Faith in His power. And this goes back to the Roman shield. It was usually a very, um, a shield that was um, made of leather, really heavy leather, and it was soaked in oil. And when they would shoot a fiery dart or a fiery arrow, it would extinguish itself in that very thick hide that was on that shield. That's the metaphor Paul is using. This fiery dart comes at you and when it hits it's extinguished by our faith. And we take this shield up and we need it. And then he says, uh, take the helmet of salvation. What's that? Well that's the metal thing you have on your head that keeps somebody from cutting you in half with a sword. Is a very important piece of equipment, the helmet. Um, soldiers will tell you in battle, it's very important to have that helmet on to keep the bullets away, the steel helmet. And you want to have that on at all times. And the idea there is it protects your mind. The idea maybe is protecting your mind. And then you take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the sword there, when you think of sword, what do you think of? I mean, a long, yeah, long, big, you know, thing, you know. Well, that's not the word here. It's Makaira. It's the short dagger is what it is. And a short dagger was only good for one thing. You find a, a, a hole in somebody's armor and you shove it in. It was a very, it was a precision weapon. And it says the, the word here is Rima, which is the saints. So the sword of the spirit is not some big, heavy-duty ramphaya. That's the other word for sword, this ramphaya. Rather, it is a short, precise dagger used for hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was to be precise, and it was to be used precisely, which means that how should we use the Bible? Precisely. When Satan came along and tempted Christ, how did he deal with them? Satan twisted the word. How did Christ respond? It was written. Which assumed that he knew what the Bible said. And here's the thing. Stop and think about it. Could Christ have told Satan to buzz off? Get lost. Right? He didn't. He used the word of God. I think as an example to us. Which means that if you have a problem with a particular sin, what's a good way of strat or strategy of dealing with it? 
memorize the scriptures that deal with it. If you have a problem with covetousness, memorize all the verses of the Bible that deal with covetousness. It's not fun anymore. If you have a problem with gossip, memorize all those verses that talk about gossip. Put the word in your heart. What did the psalmist say? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Put the word in there. And if you do, it will keep you from having fun in sin. Because God will bring all these verses to you. It won't be fun anymore. And, and, and the, by the way, the word is to be used precisely. You, you don't just quote any old verse. You quote a verse that's appropriate to the attack. Which means that you understand what the verse means and how to apply it. That's why it's very important to understand the Word of God. And by the way, what is your only offensive weapon at all, if any? The, word. the little Word. It is written. It is written. <laughs> then he says, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. What pulls the, the armor of God together makes it effective? Prayer. See, the thing is, you don't, you know, and it goes back to this whole notion, I don't, I don't understand what Satan's strategies are. I don't see his moves. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. All I know is he's there doing something, but I don't know what that is. But God does. And what I need to do is pray that God would give me wisdom and insight in dealing with a particular situation, and let God worry about what Satan's busy doing behind the scenes. But that's what brings it all together, the prayer. God wants me to be effective. But also says being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. What's the best way to avoid sin? Stay away from it. Watch. Now that's a very profound statement that people don't really catch on to. Think about it. If, you have a if you're an alcoholic and you have a problem with alcohol and being drunk, is it right to live above a bar? That's just like, duh, you know, why do that? If you have a problem with lust, should you be uh, watching a lot of the TV and uh, getting the magazines and the books and all of that stuff? If you have a problem with covetousness, do you go to the mall every other day and shop? See, I mean, this is just no. This is just like, like you know, duh, obvious things. But stop and think about how many Christians really think of this, think of things this way. <coughs> if you have problems with a particular sin, avoid areas where. You are tempted. That's not, that's not being weak. You know that, right? Being wise. That's being wise. That's thinking. <clears throat> what does it mean when God says, keep us from evil? Stay away from temptable situations. <clears throat> I mean, that's just, that's just bright. That's very bright. That's very wise to do. And, and, and this, this takes some... This takes some effort on our part. That means uh, there are certain things you don't do because they would expose you to temptation that you really don't need. All right.
And, and that might mean the world might think you're nuts. They might think you're crazy. I remember sitting in a business meeting was a few weeks ago. And they were talking about, uh, we were talking about doing some web work for Moen and putting up a website and all that. And how, you know, you got to worry about the load on web servers, you know, so you get proper, I don't know, while you're on the web. Get and, and one of the ladies there used the example of the uh, Victoria's Secret site that went down because everybody was looking at it at the same time, the, um, whatever the show was that they had, you know. And she looked around the room to all of us who were sitting there, the whole bunch of us, say, you know, I suppose all of you seen that, and, you know. And I'm sitting there saying, no, I didn't see that. I was the only one probably there that hasn't even, I don't even know what the URL is, so that's, that's, that's bad there. But, but it's like it's assumption out there that, that that's what you fill your mind with. Well, if you fill your mind with that stuff, what's this going to do? You know, it really bums me out. You know, everybody know Limstone's bookstore? Over in um, Great Northern Mall. Well, I like that store, but there's only one bad thing. What's the store across the way from it? Yeah. So I look like an idiot, you know, when I'm walking down there looking at one side of, you know, not Victoria's Secret side, but I'm looking, to, you know, I'm not even looking over there. I mean, I just don't need it. I mean, I just need to expose myself to it. You say, ah, you must be a weak Christian. No, I'm a smart one. I don't need to expose myself to that. There are certain movies I would not even consider watching. I don't need to expose myself to it. No. Those are that's good wholesome family entertainment. Okay. But but you just don't need to expose yourself. It's not being stupid or it's it's not being a weak. It's being smart. You don't need to expose yourself to that stuff to prove that you can handle the temptation. You just don't need that. Why fight the battle if you don't need to fight it? It's better to avoid temptation than to deal with it. And that's, that's part of it here, being watchful. As you grow in your spiritual life, you can see sin coming a mile away. And part of it is to avoid situations where you're put into a point of being compromising. Avoid that. And then he says, I want you to pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I would be a testimony. Where was Paul when he wrote this book? Now, 99.999% now of the evangelical pastors they would be praying for what? To get out. With Paul, it was irrelevant where he was. He said, I want you to pray that I be bold enough to open my mouth when the time comes. He was in prison. For which I am an ambassador in chains. That's, that's a good one. I'm in chains, but I'm an ambassador of God. A long time ago, we had a Romanian pastor visit us here at the church, and he was talking about how it was in Romania where they got thrown into prison for preaching. They said, you know, we didn't pray that God would let us out because you've got a captive audience. You've got 25 guys that can't get away from you. Yeah. It talks about how the prison guards would get mad that you're witnessing, so they take you out and put you in another cell. Well, there's 25 more new people. They haven't heard of that. Yeah. See? 
And then he gives the greeting here, but that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister and Lord, will make known all things to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. So here's a message from Tychicus, and that's why we get, well, Tychicus brought this in Colossians and Philemon. And Tychicus told the churches how Paul was doing. Then he says, Peace to the brethren, love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Be, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. In sincerity, amen. Just closing up the letter. But, you know, in Ephesians, I guess the big picture of things is to understand who Christ is. He's the head of the church, the Savior. Understand here in 6 that you're your enemy. Although Satan is busy, he works through the flesh. That's where he gets his inroads. Not, it's not Satan that's making you sense you. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.